Right on in. Yes, so let's see. Let's go ahead and, and get here. But good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the Scrabble Conservatory Arts and Worship Center. Again, I always like to just remind you of our copyright. It's right here. We don't have to repeat it. We've done that so much. No need to do that. Here's the overview of the conservatory. If you're here for the first time, listen, if you go into the Scribal Conservatory Bible Study Group, you can download an overview of the ministry. So I want to encourage you to do that. I will talk about the four pillars of the ministry or our four principles, which is transforming nations, Romans 12 and 2. And this is not geographical location necessarily. This is really about um, the renewing of your mind. Each one of us represent a, a group, a people group. We represent people that we're influencing, people that we're touching. So we want to make sure that it's our minds that's being renewed. Um, we're reinforcing covenant. And by that, we're just saying Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. So if things don't line up with what Jesus completed, then we always go back and try to make sure we understand what he accomplished and what he actually did finish and how that is reinforced in our belief every day. So we also talk about elevating Christ above men. I believe the Lord gave us that mandate because we're really in the midst of a lot of idolatry in this nation at a level that I don't know. I, I know I haven't experienced. Everything is commercialized. Everything is ego driven. Everything is personality based. Everything is about glitz and glam and who's popular and who's not. It's like the very contradiction of everything that um, Christ stood for. So there's always this place of needing to elevate Christ above men because we know that having your face on a billboard has nothing to do with the wisdom of God at all. So we wanna, we wanna keep enforcing that and hoping that men's hearts will turn to truth. We also wanna work from this place of increasing understanding, not human understanding, but understanding of Christ's intention of his purposes. Why are we here? What is the end game? How does everything that I do meet up with Christ's intention? And is it his intention or is it me or is it the idols that I've raised above um, Christ? So that's where we are. And we're, we're an immersive group of believers. And our goal is to embrace immersion as our roots grow deep in him. So that's what the conservatory is about. We'll never move from that. And as much as I know God has a profound vision for this ministry, you know, I, I've had a couple of people that have dreamed with me for the vision here and I'm seeing us getting closer to it. But for me, it will never be about, and the conservatory will never be about what you see. It'll never be about all the great technology, all of this and that. It'll never be about that. It'll always be an organic um, roots-based ministry for us. This is how you contact us. Right now, I'm encouraging everybody to connect within the Bible study group. 
You can go to the um, website though, and you can get the link for registering for um, the conservatory on Sundays. Bible study this Tuesday at 7.30. I'm looking forward to seeing you. This is going to be a great Bible study because we will be talking about human discernment. And also, I just encourage you all to support the Charisma Podcast Network's podcast for the ministry entrusted to me, um, Chamber of the Scribe. I think you'll be blessed by it if you are creative in any way, if you are administrative in any way, if you are instructional in any way, you may find that you're more of a scribe than you could ever imagine. So join us and be a part of that and just support. Even if you don't listen, tune in, download the episodes because that's how the popularity is counted. And I can tell you God is doing some great and wonderful things through this. And at some point, I'll tell you about it. This is how you give. Um, So I'll, I'll try my best to pop it up at the end. You'll see someone sharing inside the text as well, inside the text, you know, the chat concerning this. So just keep this in mind. And today, again, we're doing part two of biblical discernment versus human judgment. I'm just going to ask you real quick, who among you are still using your Bible? I know you have feelings about your digital devices, And I promise you, God will not be upset with you if you feel, if you don't feel led to pick up your Bible, it's not a sin to pick it up anyway. (laughs) Sometimes you have to tell religious people this because they feel like, well, I can't hear God unless I'm using my tablet. You can hear God in a rock if you desire to, but you'll definitely be able to hear him in this Bible. And it prevents you from being so distracted and all over the place. You can listen and hear better. So listen, I'm about people picking up their Bible. I have another big announcement. This month, well, not this month, but in June, we're going to be launching the SEAL School back in person. We'll be streaming parts of it online. I need for you to understand this because we are very um, practical ministry. So some things we won't be able to discuss on video, we'll only be able to discuss in the privacy and the building up of that group. So we're going to be opening up the SEAL school next month. So the conservatory is going back to meeting in person, but we're beginning with the SEAL school of ministry. And I can't tell you how burdened I am to teach on the prophetic and to teach on the Ephesians 4, 11 ministry giftings from the perspective of being sealed. And I will be posting for you some of the past teachings inside the Bible study group so you can catch up because I'm not really in the mood to do those again. I don't believe the Lord is having me redo those right now so you can catch up with what's written. So I just want to encourage you and we're going to jump right on in, right on in. Biblical discernment versus human judgment. And we're talking about the human judgment part today. So we're going to do a quick recap. I know some of you may not have heard the teaching from last week. All I can tell you is the fullness of this message really can't be grasped if you don't have the first part. I'm asking you to lay down your presumptions, things that you may have already learned, 
I assure you, we're probably not teaching on those things that we've been taught in the past on discernment. I also want you to know that this is not a bashing ministry type of teaching. This is for us. So we need to look into our own hearts first. We don't need to be comparing what other ministries are doing. This is not about them. This is about you. And everything that I'm teaching today, I promise most of us are walking in this. We have walked in it or we're really struggling to get out of it or we're emerging from it. So it touches everyone. This is not an I, you, me message. It's like literally, literally just practical and looking at what the Bible really says. But again, without part one, this might be a bit of a struggle for you. So here we go. Last week, we, we learned that the foundation of biblical discernment is this, to properly weigh what is righteous and unrighteous, good and evil as it is defined by God. So at the very bare bones perspective, Discernment is about determining what is of God, not, not what we think is of God. This is a huge difference. But what is of concern to God and what makes God so concerned about righteousness and purity? What is his righteousness versus what is unrighteousness? What is his good versus what he defines as evil? And we discuss this in a way where we don't have to go down and list every sin known to man. That's not what this is about. It's about the, that, the fact that God is love and that hate is not of God. So whatever falls on the side of love and what falls on the side of mercy, what falls on the side of goodness is what we need to be able to discern. I want to say that again, whatever falls on the side of God's goodness, whatever falls on the side of his love, whatever falls on the side of what his intention is, is what God counts as good from Genesis to Revelation. And what is evil is basically anything that opposes the goodness of God. The scripture tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you can't taste and see that the Lord is good with what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your heart, what is your ministry focus, then we have a problem. And I've taught you extensively about what it means to reveal Christ. I hope I have. I believe this was, I can't remember whether it was the scribe school or whether it was here, whether it was both, but there is a teaching and I need to highlight it if someone reminds me that you need to know that God came to reveal himself. He sent Jesus to reveal the father. And, the, and then uh, in turn, when Jesus um, was resurrected into the Christ, he sent Holy Spirit to reveal the son. And so as sons of God, we're supposed to be revealing the father. So this is always going to be at the root of, of God's intention, the revealing of him. And that revelation and insight in and of itself causes us to question many of the things that we do because the sermon has been used for witch hunts. It's been used for accusation. 
It's been used for condemnation. It's been used to disqualify people. It's been used for everything than what it was intended to be used for. Discernment is like, if you can discern that something is not of God, you're seeing that because God is looking for you to provide a solution. How can I help? Now that I've seen this situation, now that this situation has been revealed to me, what solution can I bring to the table to help turn it around and help expel what is dark and turn it into something that is good? How can I be the solutionist in this situation? Oh my goodness, I see that person is just dark and bitter. I discern that they are broken. I discern that they're mean because of all that they've been through. How can I be a light that helps them turn around? That's how God uses discernment. And we went through so much detail to prove this. This is why you need part one of the teaching. So I wanna keep pushing you back there because what we're talking about today is a direct response to that. And I'm just asking you this question again. Can you accept the simplicity of the truth of discernment or will we continue to rely on the doctrine of people, the doctrine of people who are more inclined to darkness and demonic activity than we are to people who are inclined to the goodness of God? Because again, the scripture says, taste and see that God is good. But a lot of teaching surround discernment is completely focused on the demonic realm, the devil realm, what the devil is doing, how the devil is leading me, how the people are fascinated with darkness. But God wants us to be fascinated with his light. And he wants us to be exactly like Christ was in the earth and exactly like the apostles were in the earth who were about the father's business. The father's business was making sure people could taste and see that God was good, was making sure people could see the grace and the mercy of Christ's um, ascension into the heavenly realm, what he left us with, what he gave us. That is the focus of the kingdom. How can I shed light on what Christ had come to do and what he's doing now. So that's a hard place to shift, but I need to say this. And I need to say this because people always ask questions. Well, what about the devil? What about him? You need to ask yourself that. What, what about him? We talked about that in our discussion after the fact of the teaching last week. And we had an excellent discussion. We don't disqualify evil. Evil is very real. The demonic realm is very real. There are things that are happening that we need to gird ourselves up for, but it is not our focus. It wasn't Christ's focus and it's not our focus. And so, but we did this in a loving way. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. We talked about how the Lord is so humble that he meets us exactly where we are. So we believe we got to jump up and down, run down the street, run back, throw oil everywhere. The Lord will make sure that he is with us while we do all of that. But we need to know that at the end of the day, the thing that moves God is our faith. 
And if your faith is in all of those activities, he'll wait until you get to a point that you believe that he can do it and then he'll move anyway. And my challenge to you was this, what if he could move without all the activity? What if our faith was in a place where we could just believe God right then and there with the level of faith that Christ demonstrated without all of that extra stuff in between? I believe that is the place of maturity that we want to be. And I believe that is what the apostles, what Jesus, what Christ and the apostles taught us. Again, that's a hard transition. So this teaching is for conservators, specifically those that have been gleaning in the teachings and digging. And again, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to part one or this will make you mad. Just letting you know. We looked at these passages of scripture. I'm not going over them. Take your, your phones and do a quick screenshot so you can go back and read these. These passages of scripture are very important to understanding discernment, biblical discernment. Use the word biblical discernment versus human discernment. We talked about how um, biblical discernment distinguishes between what is good and evil, perfect, acceptable, based on Christ's intention. We talked about it being our spiritual thermometer, how it protects us, helps us avoid disaster, guard against bad decisions. We talked about how discernment is a high level of wisdom operating in our lives. Some discernment is led by Holy Spirit. Some comes with experience in training ourselves in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And some discernment can come from lived experience. So when we talk about, um, for example, if you realize, if you have a pot on the stove and you have a little kid running around the house and you keep saying, don't touch the pot. I know you like the look of fire. You know, I know that pot look interesting to you. Don't touch it. But the child goes and touches it anyway. Oh my God, they get burned. Hold prayerfully, not seriously. But after that happens, you never have to tell that child not to touch that pot again because they recognize that that pot is dangerous, that that pot is hot and that you can get hurt if you touch that pot. So we are sometimes trained in our lives and we become discerning. Listen to this. We become discerning because of our human experiences. We learn from the bad choices and decisions that we make. So when those circumstances and situations present themselves, we can enter into a place of human discernment. Oh man, I recognize that. Look at how they talking. You know, and I tell you guys, I operate in a high level of human discernment probably more so than spiritual discernment just by life experience. If you've been through a lot of different things in your life, there are things you just know. You just know the danger signs. But there are also things that you can discern by the spirit because they're supernatural. And that's what we talked about last week. That's what we talked about. So I'm giving you just a little insight right here because our natural discernment is the place that we want to grab hold of today. So we also talked about how discernment helps us know the positive or negative intentions of people. That can also be learned. 
And that can also be um, something we're trained in. You can teach that. And then finally, Holy Spirit knowing. I love that. That's the thing that kind of gets us in trouble. And so I wanted to make sure you had this because again, without listening to the teaching next last week, what you're going to hear today could be very confusing to you. So I just thank God that you are here and that we can dig in. Give me a little time today to go through this and um, to kind of walk you through. And then we're going to have a discussion afterwards. But I just want to say that human discernment, as we're going to talk about it today, is completely different from biblical discernment, which we talked about last week. It is directly connected to our human condition. And what do I mean by that? Listen, when you talk about human discernment, it's kind of built on our opinions, the things we weigh in on, our feelings about certain subjects, uh, cultural influences, denominational divisions, even places of agreement. And if you haven't listened to the teaching on biblical agreement, it lines up with this one exceptionally well. And I want us to understand that human discernment is also tied to, how can I say it, an unredeemed state. And, and, and what I mean by that, there are things that I maybe shouldn't have used that word unredeemed, but what I mean by that is if your love isn't perfected in your life, you love God with all your heart and soul. And we know that a, a lot of us love God, but if we are influenced like we all are by our different denominational beliefs, we're still heavily in some of our cultural things. We, uh, we feel like we can weigh in on everybody's life because that's the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age is very contrary to the spirit of God, but we buy into it. Christians do it every day. They got an opinion about this breakup and that divorce. And I mean, they're just in everybody's business. So these kinds of things that people claim they're discerning is really just a bunch of nosiness and human interest. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. And we really need to know the difference. We really do. So I want you to know too that I can't really see your chat. It's not popping up for me. So if you're commenting, I won't be able to see that until the end of the message. So listen, this is where we are. So are you following me so far? I know I can see some of you by video. And if that's the case, you can give me a nod so I can see what's going on. I want to make sure there's understanding because thank you. Thank you. I have LA in view. So she'll be my, my monitor. <laughs> she'll be my monitor because if there's any point of confusion, always write it down or take a note because I want you to get understanding. I do. Okay. So listen, one of the things I learned in seminary was that Greek words, particularly, well, Hebrew words too, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic words have a range of meaning in the New Testament. So one word can mean 50 different things. So you really have to read the context of the passage. You have to understand the, the whole concept of the book to really figure out what word is being used. We spent some time last week talking about 
how in our English language that we've used the best words we can in translation to really make sense of what the scripture is saying. But one thing that I learned as a scribe and because of my passion with Jewish history as it relates to the scribe. And so I, I, I want to make that clear. I study those things because those are the best examples ever on what a scribe is. So I read a lot of Jewish literature simply to understand the work and ministry of the scribe. And in process, it's taught me a lot about words in scripture. I'm not advising you to do that because some people will end up taking the messianic route and that's really not where we're trying to go. You know, that's not what I'm trying to teach you or how I'm trying to direct you. We're kind of looking at this just for greater understanding. So a lot of these words, like our English word judge, we have a way of seeing that word, not understanding that the Bible talks about many different kinds of, um, or may, there are many meanings for the word judge. That's a better way to say it. But we need to understand this as a, we really do. So it means it's used in terms like discernment. It's used when you're talking about questioning. It's used when you talk, talk about being accused. It, 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 you know, so I use interrogate, but it's the same word as questioning. It's used when it's um, people refer to things in scripture as scrutinizing or investigating or examining. So the word has, it, it shifts meaning depending on the context. So I hope that part is understood. And I know we love Webster's Dictionary, but let's kind of bury that in the sand. And let's kind of look at, at things as they relate to the biblical backdrop. But human discernment, when we think of the word judge, human discernment, and we've already defined it a little bit, we'll define it at the end. Human discernment will place us, if, it, if, if we're not careful, in condemnation, which is a type of censure based on our own personal disapproval. Remember, if you are already have, um, I don't know, I grew up, for example, in a, in a local church where girls could not wear pants. I was taught that. I didn't wear my first pair of pants until I was 13. I was taught that um, playing cards were evil and that they were demonic. So I was afraid to play cards. Um, I was told that movie theaters were um, hubs of the devil. Nightclubs were um, these terrible, you know, I'm just giving you a, a thing. So I'm growing up listening to all of this. So by the time I am an adult, anything that looks like that immediately brings judgment. In that sense, it brings a sense of disapproval, immediate condemnation to me. So I want, so I'm giving you some backdrop on how these things play out. And then what came with that was accusation. I would raise charges against people who wore pants. I would, I would wage war against people who played cards. You know, I would, if somebody was listening to um, secular music, oh my goodness, I felt like that was the devil's music. I'm just giving you an idea of how this, this thing, and I thought it was discernment. I discerned that you have a devil. So I grew up like this, and a lot of us did. 
So we have this, I'm talking human discernment right now, human discernment, not biblical discernment. Don't get confused. This is why you need part one. We talked a lot about assumption. Um, when I, you know, I assumed that people were a certain way or, or that they couldn't possibly be saved if they did this or if they did that. I had a lot of truth, but with no proof. <laughs> Just proof what my eyes caught. Just proof what I think I heard. And then there was presumption, arrogant conclusions based on false intel or little information, outward appearance, opinion. There were no roots in rescue or help in my discernment. I want you to hear this. Human discernment is not concerned with rescue. Human discernment is not concerned with the love of God. Human discernment is not concerned with solutions most of the time. It's just not. So can you all see the differences that I'm making? If you can, I can't, again, I cannot see your um, comments in the chat. They're not clear for me. Okay, so we can move on. We can move on. So some of the scriptures that we're going to use today is 1 Corinthians 4, Hosea 14, 8 through 9, Hebrews 9, 24, 28. Jude 1, 14 through 16, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 4 right now. You can follow me on screen because I do have it up, or you can follow me from your Bibles. And I really am excited about this because I believe God is going to speak to us profoundly. Let me figure out where my scriptures are. Yep, here we go. Um, let me close that screen. So we're going to go with 1 Corinthians 4 first. Now, I'm asking you to bear with me because I really need to read this. We read it last week, and um, I talked about it, but I want to read it from a different perspective today. I think I'm doing that right. Yep, yep, yep. That was the right one. So 1 Corinthians 4. So then let us who minister be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards. I'm reading from the Amplified Version for a reason. Um, so let so then let us who minister be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards, trustees, administrators of the mysteries of God that he chooses to reveal. In this case, moreover, it is required as essential and demanded of stewards that one be found faithful and trustworthy. But as for me personally, it matters very little to me that I may be judged by you or by any human court on this point. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, I want you to see that the way the word judge is being used here is he saying your opinion of me does not matter. Your accusations of me based on that little bitty teeny weeny intel that you call truth doesn't matter. What you think based on your own self-righteousness doesn't 
matter. So this is one type of judging that we need to be aware of because Paul is really talking about human judgment. He's not talking about biblical judgment in this place. Now, I want to know if you can distinguish the difference right here in this scripture based on what I've shared with you so far. I need to know that you can see this. He's not talking about being judged based on sin. He's not talking about being judged on righteousness. He's talking about personal opinions and and legal issues that have nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven that he is in. So if you want to, you can write down on your paper, 1 Corinthians 4, this is human judgment, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 is a type of human judgment. Listen, he goes on and he says, I'm aware of nothing against myself and I feel blameless, but I am not by this acquitted before God. It is the Lord who judges me. So we have a whole bunch of Christians that, that, that will say things like, um, oh man, look at you. I thought you were saved. How you going to have them kind of problems in your marriage? Oh man, I see you. Look at how you live and how can you do that? Listen, that I want you all to really pay attention to those kinds of things. You have comedians right now. We have Christians that do commentaries on stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with them. And they will have to give that account for this one day. And our being in agreement with these people, oh my God, God help us, especially if you call yourself a prophet, how dangerous it is. But look, the flesh will always justify itself. But if your quote discernment and opinion is not bound by the discernment and opinion that God has, it's all human. It's not of the Lord. So Paul says, I am aware of nothing against myself and I feel blameless, but I am not by this acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So this is what he means. There are a lot of Christians who can't stand to hear people outside of the faith or inside of the faith say, it is the Lord who judges me. But what the people are saying, and we need to understand this, is that your personal assessment of where I am in my walk is none of your business and you have absolutely no right to force your opinion on me. That is what they're saying. Don't worry, because I can hear the wheels spinning in your head. We're going to talk about righteous judgment. I'm going to give you a real good scripture on that. And then I'm going to give you a sealing scripture that causes you to put that issue to rest. So just walk with me for a minute. Walk with me, stay in the present because we need the whole counsel of God in our lives concerning these things. So you really need to make sure you listen to last week before we get to that. So he says in um, the second part, 4B, he said, it is the Lord who judges me. Then verse five, so do not go on passing judgment, discerning things about me wrongly. That's what he's saying. 
Do not go on discerning things about me wrongly before my appointed time. Do not go around putting me in heaven or hell before my time. But wait until the Lord comes, for he will both bring the light, the secret things that are hidden in darkness, and disclose the motives of the heart. Woo! Discernment, human discernment is based on the motives of your heart. It's based on what you believe, what you think, what you've been taught. Whether if a person who wears a dress or a pair of pants, they're acting like a man. I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I really want you to get this. So do not go on passing judgment before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes, for he will both bring to the light the secret things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. And he, this is really a little um, pun to them. He's basically saying, look, when God decides, we all going to be happy. Focus on yourself. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, okay, you can think whatever you want. But I know that when each one of us know what God's intention is, we will praise him together. That's basically what Paul is saying. And then he says, now I have applied these things. That is the analogies about factions, you and your little groups, your cliques, your, your this and that. And, I, you know, to myself and Apollos for your benefit, believer, so that you may learn from us and not to go beyond what is written in the scripture. Oh, my God. How to discern is written in the scripture. And a lot of people have gone beyond God's intention and turned it into something that it is not. So that none of you will become arrogant and boast in favor of one minister or teacher against the other. So now we have context here. So this is the passage of scripture where we know this is the chapter where people are, well, I like Paul better. I like Apollos better. We know that we're getting into this type of argument. So they're, so they're trying to discern and pick and choose who they want to listen to and such and such. But we know as prophetic people that we're drawn to one another by frequency in the spirit. That's what draws us. We're not necessarily drawn to people because of teaching or preaching styles. And I, well, some of us are because my husband and I don't really listen to ministers that spend the whole sermon screaming accusations at us from the pulpit. That's something we stopped doing um, 13, 14 years ago. We have not been to a church except that I've had to endure it when I'm traveling to speak because if you have many speakers on the platform, most will spend the whole hour condemning you and releasing accusation after accusation and not even meaning any harm. It's just how they were taught. So for who regards you as superior or what sets you apart is special? What have you that you did not receive from another? And if in fact you received it from God or someone else, why do you boast as if you had not received it, but had gained it by yourself? Profound. So Paul in this instance, I really want you to kind of mark this verse right here. 1 Corinthians 4, 
four and five as an example. And that's all this is. I wanted to give you an example of a type of discernment. Now let's go um, to Hosea 14. Now, just for the sake of this passage, we all know, hopefully you know what the book of Hosea is about. You know that there was, there was a whole conversation about how, I mean, there's a natural and a spiritual view of this, but overall, the book is about how desperate God was in pursuing his people in the time that Hosea lived. And we know that the idea of being pursued at that level came with people who God chose, his church, but they were doing everything but what he chose. And I just want to go up here and I want to just read a little bit. I'm going to start with verse, let's just start with verse three before we get to verse eight. Um, And this is their situation in their time, but there are a lot of lessons here that we can draw from. Assyria cannot save us. We will not, not mount No, I'm going to read this from over here. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version or, yeah, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version of the Bible. So Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses relying on military might, nor will we say again, the idols who are the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you, O Lord, the orphan finds love and compassion and mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I want you to hear this. I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their turning their back on me. I will heal their abandonment. I will heal it. I will heal their faithlessness. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from Israel. I shall be like the dew to Israel. He will be a blossom like the lily and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance will be like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in the shadow will again rise, raise grain and they will blossom like the vine. His renowned will will be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who have answered and will care for you and watch over you. I am like the luxuriant cypress tree. With me, your fruit is found, which is to nourish you. Whoever is spiritually wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is spiritually discerning and understanding, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous will walk in them but transgressions will stumble and fall in them. In this place, I want you to see the word, the word used. This is old covenant, but I think it's relevant because we're able to see that wisdom is a sign to our ability to judge and understanding. And this is important because in this passage of scripture, if you know the story, you know there was a lot of discerning that showed the wickedness of the people that came before this. A lot of discernment. But again, what we have to understand is that biblical discernment, the purpose of biblical discernment is to figure out what's wrong, to identify what is wayward, what is wrong for several reasons. One is that you move out of the way and be protected. For another reason that you find solutions. For another reason that whatever is needed can be exposed so God can have his way. There's always a solution 
in the midst of biblical discernment that goes back to love the love of God. So you mark this scripture that shows that this discernment in this way is I'm looking to see, Lord, what are you spiritually showing me that I can understand to let me know your way in this situation? How are you going to cause this situation to fit in your intention? Are you all following me? I can't tell by what you are um, doing. I'm building, y'all know I'm a builder. So just bear with me. I'm gonna close this passage of scripture out. Remember, hold on to it. I'll, I'll put the screen up in a minute so you can see it. Here's another one. I have to go through these. <laughs> I have to go through these because if I don't, you know, there could be misunderstanding and we love to do this line upon line. So we're hitting right now. Um, this is Hebrews chapter nine. And um, we're going to go down to verse 24. Let's see. And this is, let me see what this is talking about. I can't remember, even though I've read it. Okay, yeah, we talk about Hebrews 9 a lot. And we talk about how Christ is the high priest. And we talk a lot about how I, how we have, we are no longer under, under the Levitical covenant. So this is a lot of that conversation carrying on. Let me tell you. The writer of Hebrews spent a lot of time trying to get people out of the old covenant and into the new. The book of Romans is really good in this area as well. So we get down here to verse 20. Let's see. I'm going to read 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now they're talking about Mosaic law, the law of Moses, that thing. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. This is important because th this particular statement is simply telling us that Christ, when Christ did it the first time, he did it all the way. He doesn't have to come back and redo it again. So if he says you are forgiven, he means it. He doesn't have to go and do it again. If he says you are loved, there's nothing else he needs to do. It's finished. It's done. So, so there's this place of definition that's coming in here that's helping us understand this whole place of judgment. This whole place of, of condemnation, listen to this, an accusation from a human perspective. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once. He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by sacrificing himself. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to see 
is that there is nothing else we can do in our human existence by judging people because it really is already done. Human judgment offers nothing. Can you guys see that? It's right here in the scripture. Oh my God, I pray that you're following me and that you're not missing this. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. In other words, in other words, we need to see that when Christ talks about judgment, the perspective is completely different from the way humans talk about judgment. Can you see this? Is this clear? There is nothing you can say Nothing you can do to change the truth of the word. There are two conversations taking place in this passage of scripture in Hebrew 9. I know I'm taking you guys far. I know, and I know some of you are probably not even getting any of this to the degree that I know you will later. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm smart. I just know it's hard to dismantle things that we have been taught over and over and over again for decades. Because we have a whole bunch of believers that think it's okay to remind me of my ugly past every five minutes. Are you following me? If there are any problems, I want to hear about them. Take notes. Write this scripture down. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear our sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In other words, listen, we've already been saved. We've already been delivered. We've already been set free. And this word, I'm going to read it here so we can see it in a different way. I'm going to, because that translation is not real clear with verse 28. I'm going to go here, verse 27. This is the amplified version, I believe. It says, and it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time. That's a better understanding of that scripture. Again, I always share with you guys, get four or five versions of the scripture so you can understand and it'll be clear to you. And you can study because that is very misleading. It makes us think that he's coming back again to give us salvation all over again. And that's not what he's doing. What this scripture is really saying is that Christ was sacrificed one time for the sins of all of us. Every human that is alive today that have died since his 
um, ascension, everything that's happened, he has already taken all of that away. And he's coming a second time not to deal with sin because he already dealt with sin. This is a hard one. But because he's coming back for those who are waiting for him so he can reclaim the fullness of everything. So there is no more of what we have now, all of this division. He's coming back for the perfect bride. That's what this scripture is saying to us. I hope you're understanding and following. He's going to come back. We're eagerly awaiting him to fulfill everything that we're no longer. He's already done it, but we're waiting for the time when our process is complete. Write that down. This is important because I need you to see the differences in how the scripture talks about the kind of judgment that belongs to God and how it clearly separates what we do to each other. So yes, let me make sure I'm on the right track because I don't want to get ahead. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Yeah, we're going to go to Jude 1 real quick. Um, okay, Jude 1. I want to encourage you to read Jude in, um, in um, context. Oh my gosh, I feel like I need to read this. I just don't want to keep you too long because it's already 1225, but I feel like I need to do this or it wouldn't be complete. This is Jude. So we're just going to um, skip around. We're going to start at verse 3. Let's see. I'm going to read from the New King James today on this part, just the first part. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop here because this is an example of discernment and this is an example of um, us seeing how discernment can work for our good. So we're supposed to discern what is good to God and what opposes him. We do this every day. We do this every day. Listen, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith for once, for all delivered to the saints. And we should be able to discern when people creep in unnoticed. We should be able to discern who's, you know, uh, things that are marked out for condemnation. We should be able to discern ungodly men. We should be able to discern people who turn grace into lewdness and deny the Lord. We're called to discern. So that's biblical discernment, but we're not given the right to condemn, to make accusations. Discernment is one thing. Biblical discernment is to provide solution, right? So he's not, girl, look at them. Look, at they so lewd. Look at that church. Da, 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 da. We hear that kind of stuff all the time. No solutions. That's the difference. That's the difference. It's the heart that makes the difference. It's the heart that makes the difference. It's the heart condition that makes the difference between what kind of judgment is going forward. We're turning now 
into the heart of this message. When we, when our heart is right, biblical discernment will be good to our taste. Whether we're discerning darkness or light, it will be good because it's going to help somebody. Let's flip it. Human discernment comes to help no one. It comes to gossip. It comes to condemn. It comes to crush. It comes to make you feel bad. It comes to make you think you're less than. It comes to make everything work against you. It's always a hard thing. I want you guys to see why I'm sharing with you line upon line about this. Because I gave you definition, but definition has no place outside of your heart. If your heart is for God, even if you are religious and legalistic and crazy and all of that other stuff, God has a way of burning all of that dross off of you. He did it for me because I was 100% into the witch hunt. I'll admit that. I will admit that all day long. Oh, look at them. They going to hell. I mean, this was me all day long. But it was influenced by how I was brought up, the denomination that I was in, how the people around me saw Christ. And I love God. And they love God too, most of them. But I'm sharing is not to go and change them, but to change you because any change in the world begins with you. I'm changing you by because I've been changed. And you caught hold of the frequency that God has placed me on, right? So it's not my job to go right now on Facebook about this because they can't understand it. Only love can teach a message like this. Most people who hate religion are still in judgment because now they're judging the people that were just like them. Instead of stepping on the side of grace and mercy and saying, oh my God, what can I do to cause men to hear the message that you've given me so they can come out because it's clear that they love God. How can I say this? I gave you this example before. All you ever hear about the seven churches in the book of Revelations is how Jezebel was sitting up in the church, how this church didn't have love. But the thing that God showed me was he was still in the church with them or he never would have prophesied to them. God was sitting up there in all of those churches. He was telling them, this is what you're doing wrong, but I love you and this is what you're doing right. That's what he did. See, that's what real discernment does. Real discernment can judge and say, Jezebel is in your church. But the love of God can come along and say, but I see the good work that you were doing and this is how you can turn that situation around. Oh, my God. Human discernment is killing us in the body of Christ. 
Exactly. It's like stepping away from the mirror and forgetting everything that God did for us. It's pointing one finger out and all 10 of yours really pointing back at you. Oh my God. We have such a hatred for the love of God because we don't understand how it works in the midst of discernment. God is not telling you that person, the devil, just so you can warn everybody in your circle. My God, that's your flesh. He's telling you for your navigation. He's sharing it with you because you have the wisdom to pray. And if you don't have a heart, if your heart is so cold that you can't pray for that situation, that witch that you claim you saw that was probably just a broken person, and we put all of this man's teaching on all of this stuff and cause a broken person to be something they are not. Oh my God. Where are we? Let's keep reading because this thing is good. Jude has some profound truth. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those that did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper documentation, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains on the darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, having gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire now listen i want to share something with you there are there's a need to translate these passages on your own not relying on just what you see here i'm a student of the word i'm not here to teach on this area today but we will Blow you away what the scripture really says versus what men and their hatred for certain things and their judgment put in the scriptures. But here we go. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, this is he's talking about the old covenant now and the situation surrounding them. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the enemy, the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. What? You mean even the angel refused to judge? You mean even the angel refused to release a reviling accusation? You mean what? What? But the angel said, the Lord rebuke you. Because the angel understood that judgment of the eternal kind is in the hands of God, not in the hands of men. I'm going to let that sit right there. 
That's the scripture I want you to see. There's a different kind of judgment right here. There's a battle right here. It didn't say the angel didn't know the outcome. It didn't say the angel didn't discern the outcome, but it said the angel restrained himself because the angel knew his place. Are you catching it? Oh my God, he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts and these things that corrupt themselves. Woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain. Have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. My God, these are spots in your love feast. While the feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds, laid out on trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming upon their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, oh my God, prophesied about these men also, prophesied and prophesied God's discernment. God knew what was in the hearts of the men. He said, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. This was old covenant to execute judgment on them all. This kind of judgment is the final judgment that only God can give. See, we look at this and we think that he's talking about now. He was talking about what has already happened. And all those witnesses and everything already came forth when Christ was resurrected. A lot of this had already taken place. He's sharing this for an example for the people because they remember when this took place. Who judges? God, I'm going to show you in another place and another place if you need to. This kind of judgment is the write-off. Right? Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. How do I know he's talking about the past? Because he says, but I want to remind you that once, that you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt of the land, this he's talking about what happened in the past. And then he's telling us what God has already done, what he already completed. Oh, and he's warning them. He's saying, use this as an example. Learn from it. My God, so what does this human, where's this human discernment coming from? If the angel refuses to judge, listen, these are grumblers, heart, complainers, people walking after their own loves, their mouths are full of great swelling words, flattering people to gain an advantage. We have lots of this in the circus. Can you guys see it? 
But you, beloved, oh, me, Teresa, L.A., Brenda, Minister Paul, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last day. People are mistaken about who mockers are. <laughs> They're totally confused. Who will walk according to their own ungodly lust, opinion, denominational beliefs, new doctrines that they're coming up with, contrary to everything Christ taught. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. We live in a church today where people think it's an abomination to look for mercy. They think it's a, a weakness to look for mercy. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. The sermon allows us to make a distinction but listen, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. Now to, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, stumbling in your love, stumbling in understanding what you are really here for, and to present you faultless, making sure you're not killing people before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Can you guys see it? Can you see it? We're talking basics, foundations. You can build upon this. Other things are here in this scripture that you can build from. And let's see who can focus on the topic because as believers, we love wandering on through other things. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point of this passage. God is not saying, and I am not saying that we don't deal with all of these evil things in the earth because we do. I, we're not saying you don't discern them. What we're saying is that you need biblical discernment not human discernment when it comes to the things of God. Our human discernment serves us plenty of pur purposes. Like I, you know, I can tell when I need to get certain things done. You just know because of, you can see how things fall in line at your job. I hear people say things like, God began telling me to look for another job. He began, yeah, because you see all the Sunday firing people. They're letting people go. They sold a business, but you've given God all the credit for that. And that's just basically the signs are there. You're, you're, you see what you've learned to see because of past experience. Not everything is spiritual discernment. Can you see that? Because we need to see our religious selves. Everything is discernment. And it's not the same type of discernment. 
oh, I feel like something wrong in my marriage. Well, if he's not talking to you, that's common sense. Or if she's not talking to you, that's just good old learned behavior, human discernment. <laughs> it's good to be able to distinguish the difference and come out of all those shenanigans and circus-like activity. I've had, I had somebody get mad at me one day recently. This was not, not, con not connected to the conservatory because they said, they, they kept aggravating me about something. And I was frankly tired of talking about it. And so I, was, I, I think I, I didn't snap, but I was very matter of fact. I said, listen, I already mentioned this to you once. I, I don't know what else to say. And that's what I sent as a, as a message. And then I get this text message back that said, I discerned that you were angry. <laughs> I, I couldn't do anything but crack. Uh, that's not discernment. Of course, it was in my it was in my message to you. I was agitated. That's not spiritual discernment. That's common sense. I just need us to begin to see things for what they really are. And we know all about James 3 and the taming of the tongue, but it bothers me sometimes that people make it about the tongue because this whole passage is about the heart. It's not about the tongue, it's about the heart. <laughs> you know, so it says all kinds of, Animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue because the tongue is a direct correlation with what's going on in your heart. So if your heart is corrupt, if your heart is misled and deceived, that's what you're going to speak. That's what you're going to, you're going to release bitter and sweet water. The heart, you know, the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. That is true, but the real meaning of that can be understood to me in this way. Life and death is in the power of the heart. Because if the tongue was an issue, how do you explain text messages, which you see through your eyes? How do you explain sign language, which we speak with your hands? How do you explain Braille, what you reach and do with your, I mean, my God, life and death is in the power of the heart, your, your heart condition, your consideration. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I, I want to make sure you see that human beings all human beings have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We do this with discernment. Oh, God. We do this with discernment. 
Well, I discern you being funny with me and you flip. Well, if that's what's in your head and that's how you see the world, I can't do anything about that. We'll just let God heal you on that. But I'm moving on. Then you're mad because I moved on. I mean, what? (laughs) What do you do? But this is the state of people. There's something to be said about ministry and being a ministry leader because this is the kind of stuff you have to deal with. Well, I, I, I don't know. I just discern something about apostates. Of course you do. I discern something about you. I just know how to love you beyond it. Can you do the same? <laughs> Come on, be for real, people of God. Most people are not evil, but they do have people ways because we are people and we are all different. So we need to learn how to use our discernment for what it was intended for. Listen, so I talked to you about um, condemnation and judgment. And I just want to point out what we talked about earlier I want to give you John 3, 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So we gonna go and see this in the Jewish Bible. It says it's this way. Therefore, who tr- those who trust in him are not judged. Those who do not trust have been judged already in that they have not trusted in the one who is God's only and unique son. When you read this in context, you're going to learn that, listen, if you're doing wrong, whatever you might be doing, you you pronounce your own sentence. Do you follow what I'm saying? So you can pick it all day long. But by according to the scriptures, and this isn't the only place you'll see this, according to the scripture, whatever is, is whatever a man think of, so is he. You know, whatever man, your our choices are our choices. Whatever you choose seals it for you. If there is no repentance. I don't need to be put in a position again where I have to be judged again because it's already done. Is that part clear? Can you guys see that? So if they tell you, okay, Teresa, the speed limit is 45 miles per hour. hour. I'm going 90. And I get pulled over. When I went 90, I was already judged. It was sealed. So when I get stopped, I'm just caught. When I get stopped, if I survive that and don't kill anybody else in the process, you know, there's just the consequences of that. My car insurance goes up. I could go to jail. I could get penalties on my license. I have to pay a fine. So, but the, but the, the person who stopped me have anything to do with that? Only that they stopped me and called it to my attention. 
That's their only role. I broke the law. This is, so if, if Jesus says to us, I've already forgiven you. These are the guidelines I've given you. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to be. This is what I expect. These are the guidelines and the qualifications. Then the line has been drawn in the sand. What happens when you cross that line is already settled. That's the part that we need to understand as believers. Now I can come and I can say, hey, you crossed this line. If I were you, I would repent and get back on the other side. I would take the teachings that I've gotten and get it in order because you might not understand what the law means. There's grace for that. You might need mercy because I I just want to give you a, a, a second opportunity. But who knows when those mercies and those graces are going to be meet a road that we can't come back from. So the idea is to get us on the other side. Romans 14. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Why do you discern them in this way? Why do you treat them with content? Heart questions. Why does your heart turn this way toward them that you're going to respond to them this way? Why did you see that and you got so angry and mad and you thought it was righteous indignation, but it's not, it's you. It's your hatred. It's your prejudices. It's your culture. It's your denominational beliefs. It's bad teaching. It's misunderstanding the context of the scripture. It's, Teresa, why do you judge your brother and sister this way? That's a hard question. Why are you discerning the way that you're discerning? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Teresa, we're all going to stand there. I don't need you to stand there and be the judge. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves. Mind your own business. God is really dealing with the congregation right now. He's dealing with us and we have to recognize what discernment was intended for. If you see me in error, if you see somebody, because Babylon is as Babylon does, but if you see me in the world system doing something I am not supposed to do and you discern something concerning me, you need to ask, how is what I discern can be used to glorify God in Teresa's life, in Felicia's life, in Pamela's life, in Christine's life, in Linda's life, in Sam's life. How? Because if it can't be used to glorify God, then I need to close my mouth and pray. We help, I I try to help a lot of people, but some people you cannot help. I might not be the one ordained to help them. I may have planted a seed, who knows? Whatever I said probably fell on stony ground. They probably didn't even hear me, but that's not my problem. It's God's problem. May we decide today 
Father, we just ask for forgiveness for how we have abused discernment, how we have misunderstood human discernment, which can be good. There are some things, Lord, that that, that street smarts, that common sense, that that uh, um, that ability to have insight into certain areas, Lord, that we learn by experience, that we grow into as we age, Lord God. We thank you for that. But Father, we stand against the areas of our lives that I battle, that we battle every day where we discern certain things concerning people without the compassion that you have. That errs on the side of our humanity instead of on the side of the spirit, Lord, where we rest and dwell as one with you. From the very beginning of time, God, you have been discerning the condition of a man's heart and you have been strategically coming up with solutions to get us back on the side of your goodness and on the side of your mercy. And you've created a people designed to do the same. Father, we pray to day for our divine design, that we can figure out how to be as Christ is, Lord. How can I be a catalyst for in, in the healthy situations, for the situations that are not a detriment to me, for the situations where I'm not in danger? How can I be a help God in turning the tide so that people can taste and see that God is good? I'm a catalyst for your goodness. I'm a catalyst for your mercy. I'm a catalyst for your hope. I'm a catalyst for your love, God. And I will stand and contend against any religious ideals and concepts that would say otherwise, because first and foremost, I am likeness and image. And I will believe God before I believe men. I will pursue what you teach, God, what you demonstrate in your word over what men have taught me and even over what I believe in my mind. I lay hands on my mind right now in the name of Jesus. And I declare that it will be the mind of Christ. I give you permission, Holy Spirit. I have resisted you, but Holy Spirit, I will not resist you anymore. I say, Holy Spirit, come and have the perfect work that you ordained for me only inside of me, even before the foundations of the world. Convict me, heal me, continue to deliver me out of and into and deliver me for. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you that you're doing this in me right now. And Lord, I'm not afraid to let go of what men have taught me about discernment. I'm not a witch hunter. There are no ministries that hunt devils and demons in the Bible. There are no ministries called to the demonic realm. And Lord, I declare that I have no part in that, that I have tapped into something that is not you, but because it is acceptable, I agree to it. And Lord, even though I've been in the midst of that, You've loved me and you've guided me because you understood that my passion was great. Lord, I am one of those churches that you are standing in that have the candlesticks. And Father, I decree and declare that my candlestick will remain lighted in the name of Jesus. 
And Father, that now that I'm coming out of the shadow of misunderstanding, bad doctrine, confusion, that you're going to be able to pull me completely out so I will be clear. And when I see sin, I will weep, not because, Lord, it's me, but because I fear that it could be anyone. I want to have compassion for everybody, not just for me when I get in trouble. Father, I pray today that the sermon is my compass. It's my navigation guide. It is the rudder on my ship and it keeps me safe, but it also points me to the kingdom in Jesus name. Have your way in my life, God. Give me new language. Give me new thought processes. Cause me to question what I hear. Root this in me and bring it to my remembrance when I have need of it in Jesus' name. Lord God, have your way. And Father, I just pray over myself right now, Lord God, every idle conversation, chatter, declaration, decree, everything spoken out, spoken inward that would dare interrupt your process. And Lord, cause me to be made a fool. We decree and declare, God, that I am clear and that you are standing with me and guiding this understanding. In Jesus' name, I pray, Father, for increased insight and understanding that I'll be ahead of the questions and any clarifications that are needed that you would give me so I can answer in the scribal realm. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Thank you all for listening today. I know we're running late.